We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and to follow him fully. Today's message is taught by our lead pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Hey, good morning. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor, and y'all are under the big top. You're part of the circus today. It's going to be fun. So glad you're with us here today. Listen, as we talk about this tent over and over, I, I cannot... I cannot stress to you how thankful I am for the people that made this happen, Pastor Rick and his staff and all of his team. And so just would you give it up for them? We have people spending the night here every night. Like you can, it's just it's just so awesome. So thank you to everyone that put all the effort into that. Uh, and if you see them, give them a gentle hug. Pastor Rick is really sick, so give him an air five. You know, just tell him thank you. But um, and, and so just it's awesome to be in here. Um, just to prove to you that there is something happening, we're not just messing with you. Uh, here's a few pictures of what's happening inside. We're ripping out all that. We got people under the stage doing stuff, like with headlamps on. And here's kind of an aerial shot from the back just to kind of see all the carpet getting ripped up and all of that. So. Uh, it's going to look a little bit better than that, you know, when we're done, but uh, just grateful that you guys would be a, a generous church, a flexible church to be able to, to make this happen, and so thank you for that. Uh, I also want to let you know about something also as a church that you need to know about, something neat that happened, but uh, Westside Community Church of God, it's in Modesto, Westside Community Church of God, Pastor Carlton Williamson, he planted the church 48 years ago, like 48 years ago, so just an amazing man of God. I got a chance to meet him, and what a cool guy. Uh, but a week ago today, Pastor Ed texted me and says uh, uh, an article, and his church burned to the ground. Pastor Carlton's church burned to the ground in Modesto. Um, and so Pastor Ed was like, hey, I, what do you think? Should we do something? I'm like, yes, we need to do something. So we connected with Pastor Carlton. We just hear his heart for ministry. What an amazing man of God. And so because of you, because of your generosity, we're able to provide them a place that they can rent, and we're going to pay for the rental uh, until the end of the year to be able to get them back up on their feet. So that's because of you. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Sometimes you wonder, like, hey, where's my money going? What is this going? It goes to helping people, and it goes to expanding the gospel. If that's in another church, then we'll help them do that. So we'll keep you up to speed on what that is. But uh, excited about this week because we are in the last week of our series called Send It Next Level. And Send It Next Level is a series that we're looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, and so if you're going to have your Bibles, you can start to flip there in a second. But we're, we're at the end of it, right? So, uh, And if you are brand new and you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about here, bald man, I'll, I'll fill you in this, up to speed, okay? I'll fill you up to speed. Let me, let me tell you, 1 Thessalonians is a book that was written by the Apostle Paul. It, it was written to a church in a city called Thessalonica. Thessalonica, you can still go visit it today. Back then, it was about 200,000 people. Very diverse. It was under Roman occupation. It was a, an important city for the, uh, for the Romans. And so Paul thought that would be a perfect place to plant a church. And so going there, he decided to tell this polytheistic culture about this one God that they needed to worship. They kind of threw everything off in a really good way. Some people would follow Jesus and some people would, would, would rail against this new church that was being found. But Paul specifically planted this church there. But everywhere he went uh, when he's planting other churches, they would constantly say, man, you're all going to hear about what's happened in Thessalonica. They're crushing it out there. You are never going to believe what's happening. And, and the reason that is, is so he writes this letter to this church that's doing great and he unpacks these fantastic things that they're doing. But he really has it in two different camps. The first part that he talks about is what I would call a send it faith. And send it is a, is, a, is a term that just means go for it. Just without fear, just go for it. And this is 
the type of things this church was doing. Paul wrote all about that. The first thing we see him write about is this idea that Jesus jumped first. That, that no matter what we do as far as Christians, we have to remember that Jesus went ahead of us. And he jumped first. And so we always need to remember that when it comes to our faith. And this church was putting Jesus first. So Jesus jumped first. The second thing we talked about, though, is that we need to have, if we want to have a faith-filled family, in other words, kids and, and, and husbands and wives that follow Jesus, we have to start with ourselves doing that too. So grandpas and uncles and nephews and everything that you have, you, you should be following Jesus so that your family would follow Jesus. And we saw that in the text. And then we talked about how there's purpose in persecution. That when you're going through things, difficult things, hard things, there's actually a purpose to it. And Paul would say, hey, if you persevere in these things, you're going to see the fruit of that. And this church was doing that. Week four, we talked about how faith needs to be led out with love. That if we're going to do anything, we need to lead with love. A it faith sends it with love first. And so we looked at that. Now, that was the first four weeks. And Paul was talking about, go for it, go for it, you're doing great. And then in the next section of the book, he actually has this next line where he says, I want you, and in fact, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to do this more and more. So it wasn't just enough to be able to be where you're at. You have to do it more and more, as if there's more inside you. And so that's what we looked at that week five. We said God has more inside you, wants to pull out of you because you can do more because he's inside you. Then that, that sixth week, we looked at this idea that there's more to just death. That even though we die, there's more that happens after we die. That we should look forward to that because that's when eternity happens. We're with Jesus and everything is, is good. So he says, look forward to that. But then in the, the, the same breath, he says, but I also don't want you to get your head caught in the clouds looking at Jesus. And so in week seven, we're not supposed to look at Jesus and wait for him to come back and do nothing. We're supposed to get moving and realize that he'll come back, but we should be ready to go. We should have our house clean, ready to go no matter when he would come. But this means that we turn the corner to week eight. That as we close this section, this last epic book of the Bible, the book of 1 book of Thessalonians. And if you miss any of that, go online, crossroadsgrace.org. You can take a look at that. Or on the app that we've been talking about over and over, you can catch up on all of those. But it's been a great, great series. But as the great prophets, boys to men, once said, It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. And I'll tell... No, I'm just kidding. Right. Right? But they say, hey, it's so hard to say goodbye. What is it so hard to say goodbye this great book? And five chapters, 89 verses, some epic moments have happened in this book. So, so how would Paul put it to, to, put it to bed? How would he do this to a, to a church that was clearly touted as ascended church, doing it for Jesus? That they were going to the next level in their faith. How would we end this little book? Would he kind of row the boat to shore just nice and easy and tie up the dock? Would he rub their back and give them some warm milk and put them to bed just nice and easy? Well, if you've learned anything about Paul, he doesn't roll that way. Paul's going to use every pen stroke, every breath that he has in order to tell more people, communicate more about God in their life. So God, gliding to the finish, it just doesn't work for Paul. And so we're going to see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the last section of it, how he does that. So again, if you have your Bibles, this is your chance to open or your Crossroads Grace app. And we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's start in verse 12. And it says this. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So again, I, I think before we get too far, we need to put this into context. 
We need to put this whole book into context. We have to try to not put 21st century expectations on a first century church. We need to know what's happening here. Uh, because a, a church that Paul is writing to is probably meeting in a home somewhere, uh, maybe in a small room somewhere, and it was gathering around to listen to this letter being read by the leader of the church. In most cases, that leader would have been somebody that Paul would have invested in and been a part of his life and trained, but he also could have read. So this message from Paul was not like they flipped on the Apple TV and they put it up on there, everybody could kind of see it, and there was a cool intro music to it. No, no, not, not anything like that. This letter would have been sent by Paul, and the people would have gathered around to listen to it read out loud. Because most people during that time would, would have been functionally illiterate. They could survive a day-to-day -day without reading, but when it came to going to church and hearing the scripture or reading a letter, they had to have someone else do that for them. And so this was true about this, this Christian church. It's also true about the Jewish synagogue that was then, that people would come and have it read to them. So, so knowing this, Paul does something I think that's really important as he closes out this letter. Knowing that he has a captive audience with his group of people, that captive audience, he says, listen, my brothers and sisters, my family, I want you to treat each other well, but I want you to begin by treating your leader really well. And I think... The part of the reason that Paul does that is that because he, he knew being a leader was hard, especially in that day and age. Let, let's try to put ourselves back there. We've already talked to how this church has been persecuted for what they believe in. They're persecuted because they're following Jesus. In fact, when Paul and Silas started the church, a, a mob formed against them that tried to kill them, run them, ran them out of town. And when they couldn't get, catch up with Paul and Silas, they went to the house that they were staying with. This poor schlub named Jason got yanked out of his house and got beat up and falsely accused of things. I mean, they were, they were up against it. So just imagine being the leader of the church that was left behind after all that dust settled. Imagine being that guy. I, I mean, if you want to take out the movement, a, a movement of people, what you don't do is you don't choose the person that sits way in the back that's checking their Tinder profile and playing Candy Crush. That's not the one you go after. You go after the leader. You cut the leader off, man, and you can cut out the rest of the people. So just imagine being the leader of this new church. This new church. Think of the fact of, of the adversity you would face and the, the threats on your life and maybe even on your family. Just, just even maybe meeting in secret so no one knew. And that was just a physical thing. Imagine for the spiritual side, all that Satan wanted to attack this guy with and these leaders with and just attack and attack. This was difficult. It was rough. Being a leader is hard stuff. And I know this is true because I are one, right? I are a leader. Like, I, I get that. But I'll just tell you some things that, as a leader that are true about me. Because I doubt myself a lot. I doubt myself a lot. I lack confidence in my abilities all the time. I, I will wake up Sometimes on Sunday mornings, and I'll just pray like, God, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what were you thinking, putting a schlub like me in charge of this amazing church? Like, what, what are you thinking? <laughs> because I'm not that great. Because as great as it is to be able to stand up here and preach and to be able to communicate God's word, which I absolutely love to do, the real ministry happens and the tough stuff happens off of the stage. It always happens off of the stage. I mean, try to meet a million different expectations on who you are as a person and what you should be doing with your time and how your messages should sound and why didn't you use that and, and, and how about trying to care for people as best that you can while you don't sacrifice your own family at home. I mean, try to, try to see people that are hurting so badly and feeling like you can't really physically do anything for them. 
try to lead an amazing staff that are working so hard at everything they do and, they, and, and try to help to, to take care of their family, not burn them out and have them hate you and the church. That's difficult. Wanting, wanting to, 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 to not let Jesus down with my life. Not wanting to let him down with the ministry that he's afforded me. I, listen, I, I know over, over 20 plus years of leading in different capacities throughout my life, leadership is hard work. Which is why you probably think that this verse is my favorite verse. Right? You should hold me to the highest regard. That's what my favorite verse is. I want you to memorize that. You probably think you made up little fake tattoos you can put on your arm so you see it everywhere. You're right. You're going to get those on the way out. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no. I don't want you to do any of that. I don't want you to do any of that because here is the truth about leadership. Leadership, true leadership is earned, not given. A leader needs to earn her leadership. He needs to earn the right to be trusted. They, they need to be more than someone with eloquent words and a funny joke and a cute smile. There needs to be more to them especially when it comes to pastors. My goodness, there are countless pastors that call themselves pastors, but they are anything but a leader. Pastors that cheat on their wives while telling their congregation to remain pure before marriage. Pastors that will embezzle money while urging their flock to give until it hurts. Pastors that will preach about purity, but they are looking at more unsavory things on the internet than anyone can find. So guys, I see this scripture right here as a reminder, a wake-up call, a wake-up call to leaders. That if God is calling you to hold us to the highest regard as far as who we are, then we need to best remember why you're to do that. And it's not because of what we say, it's because of what we do. It's our work. Their work is what they're supposed to remember. So to all leaders out there, I ask you to hold yourself to the highest regard, the highest standard that God has called you to, the, the standard that God himself has mapped out for us all to follow. James, the brother of Jesus, would say this in James 3. He'd say, not many of you should become teachers, leaders, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach and lead will be judged more strictly. So I take the responsibility of being your pastor, as, the, as, as does every pastor and director and staff member here. We take that very, very seriously, and I promise you, we will work tirelessly to maintain your trust and your respect. We will be the ones leading out the charge and holding ourselves to the highest regard because of the work that we've done and that you'll be able to see that in our lives. But I also know that part of the reason that we pray that you'll respect and that you'll trust us is that you'll know that we have your best in mind too. And that may mean we, as, as fellow believers in Jesus, we might ask you to, to take that next level of your faith, to take your, your faith to more and more levels, as Paul would say. And listen to what Paul would say actually about this in verse 14. He says in verse 14, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage this disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Paul has some very passionate words here. And one word sticks out more than another. He says he, he urges. He urges them. And, and urge in the Greek means to summon. So what he's saying is he said, listen, I'm going to summon my brothers and my sisters and my family. I'm urging you. I'm summoning you. And as their leader, he's summoning them to, to be careful for, to becoming one thing. He says, I really want you to be careful. I'm urging you not to do this. I don't want you to become idle. Don't become idle. 
Now, why is being idle such a big deal? Well, let, let me bring you back with me for a second to Rapid City, South Dakota, where I was born and raised, okay? Uh, and, and this is, this is going to come as a shock, okay? Just hang on. Um, there is very little to do in Rapid City, South Dakota, okay? I know, I know. It seems like a booming metropolis, right? But very little to do, especially when I lived there. I think they now have an Applebee's, so man, I'm really excited about that. Um, Back to the Future 2 just got there. Like, super great. We're pumped about that. Um, what did Marty McFly do? Uh, but, but so there was lots, so there's nothing to do. But, so I played sports. There was all that you could do and, and different things like that. But really, uh, after the seasons ended, you could either fish or hunt or drink. Like, those were your options. Basically, that's what you had. And my dad was not a hunter, and he was not a fisherman, which left drinking, and I never drank in my life before. So my brothers and I hung out at home a lot, just, you know, practicing sports, doing nothing like that was my life. Um, but there was one other thing, a little kind of sidebar thing that some people would do to, 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 to uh, pass the time, and it was at night, and it was called Cruising 8th Street, is what it was called, okay? Now, 8th Street was the main thoroughfare through our downtown area. And what it would entail is that you would get in your car with your buddies and your friends, you would drive down 8th Street till you got to the Taco Bell, you would go in the parking lot, whip around, come back, okay? You'd go in the Holiday Inn parking lot, come around, and you'd do it over and over and over again. So just to mention, imagine American graffiti, just super boring. And that's basically what it was, okay? Right? Y'all get that here. Anybody been cruising before? You can be on it. I'll have some cruisers here. Somebody raise their glass. I love that. Right? To cruising. You know, to cruising. So, so cruising 8th Street. And most of the time what that was, it was a bunch of just like hoodlums, right? You just give a car and you go back and forth. The only thing you would do that for is to get in trouble and meet girls. That was the only reason you did it, okay? So I never did that because one, uh, I just, I did it. And number two, I didn't want to die because my mom would kill me. That's basically why I didn't do it. Well, one day I was with my best friend, Rob. We decided, you know what? We're going to go cruise 8th Street. We're just going to do it. And so my buddy and I, and, and along with this girl that we really liked, um, and then her, her friend, uh, we got in her car. So that was a bonus because my car was a silver Ford Escort. Or Escort, okay? It, not an Escort. I don't even know what that is. But Escort. That's what it was. Um, and it was like, it was an automatic, you know, and her car was kind of like a mid-level, super used, but kind of sporty car with a stick shift, right? This, everything's cooler when you got a stick shift, am I right? Um, so, so we're in her car, we left the Escort home, we went in her car. We decide we're going, okay, we're driving up and back, and again, I'm a type A plus firstborn, have to have a reason for what we're doing, so we got about like 45 minutes in, I'm like, this is boring, what are we doing, okay? Other than the fact that I really like the girl that was in, it's like, whatever, okay. So we were going back and forth, talk about a holiday, and talk about a holiday, and, and, and finally I'm like, all right, I'm good, let's just, just head out. So we all come inside. So we get to the last light before we're going to take off and head back up the mountain to, to, to my house. As we get to the light, uh, to the right of me, sure enough, this massive red Chevy truck all, all hopped up. Basically, think of something from Escalon. It was like right there, okay? It was right there. I live in Escalon, it's all good, right? Big old red Chevy truck right there. And, the, and, the, and rolls down the window, and I look up, and who's in the driver's seat but the ex-boyfriend of the girl that's in the car with us, okay? Uh, and, and he was none too excited that Rob and I were in the car with this girl. Uh, and, and so I'm thinking, let's just cut our losses and like, to, you know, and so I'm not really saying anything. And, but the two yahoos in the back start talking trash to this guy. And so he's getting as red as his truck, and he's getting mad. So he's deciding to kind of get out of his car, and we're going we're gonna to throw down. And so I'm thinking, what am I going to do now? And so I'm, I realize in that moment, I'm like, wait a second. 
I got a faster car than this guy's got, you know? So I kind of look over to Tomato Head, I'm like, later, dude, you know? And I hit the gas, and all we hear is, In that moment, I realized I was not in my automatic transition escort, but in the, yes, right? The gear shift was, I was in neutral, okay? I wasn't going anywhere. I looked like a dorksicle, just like, you know, like I, so I slammed into gear and I took off, you know? But here's the thing. I had all the power at my disposal, but I wasn't in gear. I couldn't use any of it because I was idle. Because I was in neutral. So my friends, I'm just telling you, I think the greatest threat to Christianity is Christians that are idle. Christians that are in neutral. Christians that know who Jesus is, what he's done for them, what he expects us, what he's called them to be doing, yet do nothing. They have all the power at their disposal. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside them, and they're deciding to be aware of it instead of doing anything with it. Knowing who Jesus is, but never telling any of your friends about him. Knowing all of that. And knowing that God's given you a gift, but instead of using it for him, you use it all for your glory. Being blessed financially, but being greedy instead of generous. Being a Christian a really, really long time, and thinking, you know what, I've got it all figured out, and then you stop growing. Christians, right, that become idle in their faith. And you might be saying, well, Pastor B, what's the What's the big deal, man? Oh, what's the big, if I'm idle in my faith, I'm not hurting anybody. And then I would challenge you to look at the Greek word here a little bit closer. This Greek word for idle is the word aptoktos. Aptoktos. And aptoktos means disorderly. Now, I think that's really important to consider. That not doing something for our faith doesn't create apathy. It creates disorder. It creates disorder. In fact, Paul actually speaks, talks a little bit about it. He says, be careful about there's disruption and disheartened and people are becoming weak. Things happen. And idle faith is dangerous, not just only for you, but it's for those people that are around you. The world that is around you. I mean, just think about how different culture would be uh, in other areas. But like, for instance, like John Mayer. You know, like what if John Mayer just kind of like, um, instead of playing the guitar, he decided to go read comic books or something like that? We would never have waiting on the world to change, right? That would be terrible. Or Steph Curry, he reads a book about basketball but never plays basketball, then the Warriors don't have three national championships, right? We don't ha have that. Or what if Martin Luther King decided to give in to the pressure of racism that was all around him instead of pressing against the civil rights that were being uh, 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 taken away from him? What would happen? Well, I would tell you that we wouldn't be as far along as we are even though we have a long way to go and we certainly would still be dreaming. You see, when, when we have something that God has given us, we need to use it. And the same is about Christians. The world needs to know what we know. And we need to tell people about it. But, but if you know what to do and you don't do anything with it, guess what? You're, you're fooling yourself. You are fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself, myself, whoever, that Jesus has really taken any root in your life whatsoever. Again, James would say this in verse two, or chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? No. Paul is saying that, that in order for this church that he's writing to, to keep doing what they're doing, they have to avoid becoming idle. He's saying to keep going 
And doing as God provides every opportunity for them. And when he does, act on it. And he makes a point to bring them back to Jesus over and over. And verse 15 is no different. Verse 15 says, make sure that nobody pays, pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. You ever heard the phrase, if you don't use it, you lose it? Like, you ever, you ever, right? This is not the same as, like, when you're in traffic, you're like, move it, buddy! You know, like, that's not what we're talking about. If you don't use it, you lose it. So you hear this often in, like, in working out, right? Working out, you see it in education, you see it when you're, uh, when you're, when you're practicing an instrument, that if you don't use what you've been working at, you will, you will lose it. So if you're in the gym for a while, but you decide to not be in the gym, you can't come back six weeks later and expect to be as strong as you were six weeks before, right? You, you lose it. If you're practicing the guitar, and you're getting over and over, and you get really good at it, and you take like three years off, you're not going to come back and shred like you did before. Education, if you're memorizing state capitals, and then you become 50, you're not going to remember any of those, you know, but keep using it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just how it is. If you don't use it, you don't lose it. If you don't use it, you will lose it. I want to be very careful, though. What I'm not saying is that I'm not saying that you will lose your salvation if you become idle. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that you can lose the spiritual shape that you're in if you idle too long. I'll say it this way. That, that a faith left idling too long will eventually stall out. It, it'll just stall out. The longer that we stay in neutral, not engaged in our faith, we actually start to lose the growth that we've made in Jesus. We start to fall back into bad habits. We start, to stop to, we start losing that spiritual shape, that edge that we're in. So you stop reading, if you stop reading your Bible, I guarantee you're going to stop loving people the way that Jesus loved them. If you stop praying and connecting with God, I'm, I'm almost willing to guarantee you're going to start to feel God be distant and absent and you'll wonder where he's at. If, if you stop, stop coming to church, you're going to start to realize all of a sudden, wow, I'm, I'm disconnected from community. I feel lost. If you stop serving, all of a sudden, you're going to feel like you're a lot more selfish than you were before. It's because you have got disconnected. And, and maybe you're, you're there today. And I just maybe read your mail. And you're saying, you know what? I have stopped doing those things. And I am starting to feel the, those things. Man, I, I didn't realize that. Or maybe you're here today, you don't even believe in God. You're not even sure who Jesus is. You're not even sure about this whole thing. But you feel like something's off in your life. And you're like, I'm just idle. I don't really know what I'm doing. Maybe it's God asking you to engage in Him. Either way, Paul is trying to remind this church, and dare I say us, something that we already know. We, we need to remember what Jesus told us. They, they had heard what Jesus had told them. This is why Paul is saying, I don't want you to pay back wrong for wrong. That, that's, that's Jesus stuff right there. He says, remember Jesus. Remember that Jesus told us to forgive each other and, and, and to turn the other cheek. Remember when Jesus told us that we're to show everyone that we're disciples by our, by our love. He says, I want you to forgive your enemy. I actually want you to love your enemies as yourself, even if it's really, really hard. He says, yeah, keep doing the things that Jesus told you to do. When we become idle in our faith, we are setting ourselves up to pull farther from God. Because listen carefully, there is no neutral when it comes to God. There is no neutral. We're either moving towards Him or we're moving farther away from Him. And it might seem like, yeah, I'm just neutral. Things are, but I'm telling you, everything else is moving forward, so you very much are working backwards. It's just how it goes. So, so Paul says, lean in. Keep your faith in gear, because it matters so much more than you can ever know. And actually, the reason he brings this up is for an interesting purpose. It's actually to discuss this idea of God's will in your life. 
God's desire for your life. His will for your life is, is, is to be engaged with Him so that your life will have meaning. And, and all of us, all of us at one point in our lives or another have said these words. God, what's your will for my life? Like, what do you want me to be doing right now? I'm going to school for this, but is this what you want me to be doing? I, I, I feel like you're dream, bringing me over here, but is that just me or is that you? We have this tug. And sometimes in those moments, we can get stuck. We, we can get stuck in our faith. I, listen, I know that I've done this. Before I became a pastor, I said this all the time. When I was managing medically-based fitness centers, I would sit in my office, see hundreds and not, if not thousands of people walk by my door every day. And most of them would come in and complain about something. The towels aren't soft enough. The shampoo smells funny. I burnt my hair off in the hair dryer, right? Like, just, just, and I would look up to God and say, is this my life? Like, seriously, is this what you want me to be doing right now? If so, like, praise God, but is this really what you want me to be doing? And, and in that moment, what I want, and I, I would argue you probably want too, is when you ask God, God, what's your will for my life? That you want him to airdrop a package from heaven on your front door, Amazon Prime, of course, so it comes quicker. But then there's a sticker on it that says, Will of God, Inc. So you know it's from God. You open up that bad boy and you're like, oh, well, there it is. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know about you. I ain't ever got one of those packages before. Never once has that come on my door. I get a lot of Amazon packages. Never got that one before. But God's will for your life is the most important thing as a Christian. The next level calling on your life is His will. It drives you to become who you were meant to be. It, it spurs you on. It propels you forward to where God wants you to be at. It, it gives you purpose. It gives you meaning. It gives you passion in life. Yet so often, isn't it true, we get scared off of what He actually tells us? We get nervous. And so instead of leaning into it, what we'll do is we'll just tap out and we'll refuse to act. And the result of that is a life in limbo. A life in idleness. Cars do not move forward in neutral, and neither does your faith. But Paul actually says something pretty profound about God's word, God's will in verse 16. He says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. <laughs> is that simple, Paul? God's will is right there? And he would say yes. Absolutely it's yes. You can argue that everything you need to know about God's will is right there in those three things about prayer, joy, and thankfulness. Let me explain it. See, joyfulness is an interesting thing because this is the first part of knowing the will of God in your life. It's so important that Paul usually says it twice in his writings. He'll usually say, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. He like doubles down on it that it's that important. And perhaps it's why he brings Paul's audience to this, because he has to remind us about, hey, hey, remember this church. Again, he's writing this church. You're being persecuted for your faith. Some family members are dying. You're not sure where your next meal is going to come from. But hey, have joy, he says. Ha have joy. Because the will of God is to find joy in all circumstances as you seek him in all things. God's will for your life and my life is to have joy in it. The second thing, though, is to have prayer. It's to be prayerful. Prayer, if you're not familiar with it, is actually connecting with God just by talking with Him. That He'll hear your prayers when you talk with Him. But so often we say, God, what's your will for my life? But we never actually connect with Him and pray with Him. So if you want to know the will for your life, spend time talking with Him. Spend time connecting with Him. Don't wait for the package to get airdropped on top of you. Connect with Him. 
Wait for Him. Listen to Him. Be prayerful. And then the third thing is to be joyful, prayerful, and thankful. Sometimes the place to start looking for God's will is thanking Him for where you're at right now. A spirit of thankfulness will humble you and it will make you more open to what God might have for you in your life. So the will of God to be thankful is to be thankful in everything that we have because we will find ourselves in Him. The more that we're thankful for what He's given us, we'll start, be, we'll start looking more at Him for what He's given I just love the connection there that if we are thankful, He's going to allow us to be able to understand His will even more. So could you even imagine, my friends, like, could you even imagine what your life would look like if it was centered around joy and prayer and being thankful? Again, it says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You might have remembered this verse a few weeks ago. This was the favorite verse of Tyler Trent, the, 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 uh, the University of Purdue super fan that, that, was, that inspired millions of people around the nation that ended, ended up dying from cancer during this process. And this was his verse. So the middle of his most painful time, his most hurtful time, his most challenging time, he had, he had joy. He was praying and he was thankful for what God had given him, even despite what he was going through. But yet Paul, he would say, you have to have a balanced approach when, you come, when it comes to this, when looking at this. That's why I love what Paul says in verse 19. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Paul says, on the one hand, I want to make sure that you're, you're not limiting God from what he's saying in your life. I, I don't want you to quench the spirit. That means don't take what God says and kind of poo-poo it or just tighten it down and say, oh, that'll never happen. He's saying don't do that. Don't stomp out what God is trying to do in your life by idling or worse yet giving up. Trust the spirit, he says. Trust God's spirit in your life and what he might be calling you to, even if it's outside your comfort zone. But, but, he says something very important. He says, don't check your head at the door. Don't, don't go mindless. He says, what, whatever you're hearing right now, I want you to take it and I want you to put it against what Jesus says. Everything that you're hearing. And this is where, honestly, where some people that don't believe in God get really tied up. They say, I can't believe in Jesus because that means I've got to check my head at the door. i just got to go on this like la-la land. And what Paul says here is really freeing for you. He's, he's, saying, he's saying, what I want you to do is I want you not just to believe it, just to believe it. Because there's a lot of things that we hear in this world that, that we should not believe just because someone told us. I.e., everything on the internet is not true. All right? And, and everything on your Facebook wall that some Yahoo saying from wherever is not true. Like, just imagine if we understood that a little bit. And guess what? That also includes me. You have to be careful of what I say. Test what I say. And that's why Christianity is so awesome. It's so awesome because it asks for us to examine it. It says that, hey, you got questions about the Bible? Test it. You got questions about Jesus and whether he's real or not? Test it. You want, you want proof of God? Test it. You want, to, you want to see if what I'm saying is true? Hey, test it. Go for it. God says you can ask him anything. Ask away. But be prepared for when he answers you. And when this happens, when you lean into what he says, you're taking your next level of faith. But I also want to be very clear on something else. And it's found in verses 23 and 24. It says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So if we aren't careful, if we aren't careful, we might start to think 
that this whole being a Christian thing is all about how what I can do and what you can do to be better. To be better in everything that we do. That if we work hard enough, then maybe we can go to the next level in our faith. We have to be careful that going to the next level of our faith is not learning to try harder or to press yourself into a better version of what God would want you to be so he'll like you more. It's not about that. No, the process of going to the next level of our faith is actually done by God. By God. It happens when we relinquish our need to be in control and we actually let him have total control of our life. And God calls us faithful when we do that because it says that he will do it. That through our faith, he will do it. But he will also do this. He will also surround you with people that you can live your life together with. That's why I love how he ends this letter. He says, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We are to live this life together. We are to live this life together. So that is when we send it for Jesus, when we, when, we, when we go to the next level in our faith, we do it together. So what I want you to realize with this entire book that we're looking at is that you're never alone. That God never called you to be alone. He called you to, to do it together. But what I want you to hear is that God has more for you in your life than an idle, tempted faith. He's got more for you. There's more inside you. Our call as Christians, as followers of Christ, is to be on mission for Him every day of our life, not when it's convenient. Because the truth is that if our faith is left idling too long, it will eventually stall out. But when we put it in gear and we start to go, God does more than you could ever think or imagine in your life. When you decide to send it, not be fearful, but send it for Jesus, to live your life on mission for Him, He will be there with you. When you decide to go to the next level in your faith and say, I think there's more and more that God might have for you, God will be with you and He will give you the strength to be able to do it. He is faithful to do that. We just read that. My friends, He will do it, not by yourself, but He will do it together. That's why the church is so important. That's why your growth groups are so important. That's why living life in community is so important. That you know you're never alone. So as we sit under the canopy of this tent and we think about all that God wants to do in our life, I would just pray that we would know that He's got more for you. And that He would want to see you to the next level of your face so that you can be closer to Him. It's an amazing spot when we relinquish control and we say, God, I just want you. When we do that, oh my goodness. Life takes on a whole different purpose, to a whole different meaning, and you actually start to live. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.